This is the 411 from 406. My name is Chewy, and I'm joined once again by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pip. How are you, sir? Hooah! Glad to be back. No, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. We're not reviewing any Al Pacino tonight. But yes, I'm very excited to be back. We uh, have been trying to plan this for a little while now. May is Star Wars month, man. There is so much Star Wars stuff that happens in the month of May or that has happened in the month of May, going all the way back to 1977 that it's uh, it's appropriate for us to do this. So I'm glad that we're finally back to uh, to discuss more Star Wars. You mentioned the May, uh, you know, May the 4th be with you, which happens to also be my son's birthday. Um, you know, so I have a Star Wars baby, which is awesome. That's ridiculous. I, I don't even know <laughs> how you and your wife plan that and how annoying that must have been for her when you're like, come on, we, we got to get it on tonight because uh, we got to have Star Wars baby. And she's like, oh, Jesus Christ, whatever. But you pulled it off. I mean, kudos I to you, sir. I did. The force I did. was with you. It, it, yeah, it sure was. Yeah. So, so in in addition to that, we we've got another kind of new May Star Wars thing tonight because we are recording on the eve of the release of the new Obi Wan Kenobi flick, or not not flick, the the show on Disney Plus. Which, dude, I am so fucking pumped for that show. Like, that's the one that I've been looking forward to. I don't know. I mean, that's the one. Oh, for sure. Ever since they started moving more towards a format of shows versus movies, which there's been some stuff in the news about that with Kathleen Kennedy and kind of talking about the direction that things are going. I've been really looking forward to this show, like from the minute they even hinted that it was going to happen, because it harkens back to our what we love about these movies. It's it's the Skywalker saga. It's an extension of that universe. And I'm super pumped for it. Uh, the trailers look great. And I can predict exactly how I'm going to feel tomorrow because I took the day off to enjoy the Obi-Wan show as well as Stranger Things season four, which I'm very excited about. I think we reported on the, the last podcast that both of those are dropping tomorrow. I can predict exactly how I'm going to feel. I'm going to watch the first two episodes because those are the only two that are going to drop tomorrow for the new Obi-Wan show. They're going to release the first two and then the rest of them will be week after week. And after the first two, I'm going to be like, fuck, I can't wait for another episode. Like, this is stupid. This sucks. Like, but I can't, I don't have the willpower within me to be able to wait until they're all released so that I can binge them all at one time. I just can't do it because I know it will be spoiled on the internet and the websites that I go to will throw out really obnoxious headlines that spoil something, some important plot point. So I have to watch it live. But at the same time, it frustrates me to no end that I'm only going to get two episodes tomorrow. And that's that's maddening to me. I did not take tomorrow off. I, I'm already kind of in my mind trying to figure out, A, can I stay up really, really fucking late tonight and watch two episodes <laughs> after midnight? I already know you can. I saw you <laughs> fall asleep during the Royal Rumble. There's no chance it's happening. Or, or B, you know, can I somehow stay away from the internet long enough tomorrow to where I can watch them? But I, I yeah, I, I like you, I, I'm convinced that that show will be spoiled for me if I don't watch it in, in pretty short order. So, um, and I really don't want that. So I will, uh, I will do my best to, to kind of 
to, to make sure that I can watch it as soon as I, as soon as I possibly can. Yeah. So, so tonight we are back for another deep dive. We, in, in episode uh, 69 of the podcast, the last episode, we did our deep dive into the Phantom Menace. And so tonight for episode 70 of the podcast, we are taking a look in the same deep dive format at the force awakens. No, I'm sorry, Christ. <laughs> we are taking a look at episode two, Attack of the Clones. Wishful thinking, my friend, but we already did that one. Should we just do right. the Force Awakens again? Would that make more sense? Well, you know what? Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know that that was a, a, a slip of the tongue or what, but um, you know, we as we were chatting about this just before we started, before we hit record, this is not a good film. <laughs> but I am interested to talk to you about it in this format i don't know that we've ever gone this deep on this particular in fact i know we haven't we've never talked in in, at this level about this particular film and so i I am interested to kind of see where we were where we are what held up what didn't what has changed you know those kind of things so before we get into kind of our 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 format i wrote down a couple questions here that that i wanted to kind of explore you know even before we got into you know the, the attack of the clones so my, my, the first question is kind of, and, and we almost touched on it a little bit, what sort of Star Wars fan are you? And what I mean by that is, are you the Star Wars fan that is kind of like an all-encompassing, you watch everything, you consume everything, books, comics, cartoons, live action, movies, the, you know, that? Do you just stick to kind of the, the Skywalker saga? Have you branched out? Like where, and I guess I I will answer this question first, just to kind of give you a little, just a little bit of context. I don't know that I've ever sat down and watched any of the animated anything other, you know, I've seen bits and pieces. I've seen YouTube clips and those kind of things, but I've never watched the Clone Wars. I've never watched any of the, just any of that stuff. And it's not that I'm adverse to it. And I'm, and I'm sure I would really like it if I actually sat down. It's just th- that stuff kind of came at a time in my life where I just didn't have that, that extra time and that mind space to devote to Star Wars at that point in my life. So I'm clearly, you know, when it comes to anything in the, the- in the theater, I love all the live action stuff. I love uh, the Mandalorian. I'm a huge fan of like the Disney plus those kind of things back when and I don't even know what they're called anymore, but you know, when they were releasing books, you know, and I read so many star Wars novels back in the day, the Timothy Zahn trilogy and those kind of things, even that has kind of fallen off for me. But again, I just, I, I, I don't know that I've ever asked you that question. I just want to know kind of, are, are you consuming everything or are you kind of picking and choosing? Yeah. It's, I mean, I think you and I are very similar on this aspect. I mean, I'm definitely consuming all the mainstream stuff. If, if that makes sense. So I watch all the movies. I watch all the shows. I don't get into the comics. I've never been a comic book person. So the comic media in general doesn't really appeal to me all that much. I play some of the games. I have certainly read some of the extended universe. I think they call it legacy or something along those lines. Now, the ones that were written and distributed the stories that were put out before Disney bought Lucasfilm and, you know, really made that their own. So I would consider myself, you know, for the most part, a a pretty strong fan, I think. But I, I, as far as the animated stuff goes, I did watch the Rebels show, which I thought was, it took a little while to get good, but it finally did get good. The reason I watched is because 
Darth Vader was in it. James Earl Jones voiced him. And it told a little bit more of the story about Ahsoka and the return of Darth Maul and things like that. So that was pretty interesting. And it also involved uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who was featured in some of the books that we talked about, I believe, in a previous podcast. So so I guess you could say I'm a, I'm a pretty hardcore Star Wars fan, but it definitely stops at some point. And I don't read any of the books anymore. I, I don't really get into that as much. And I'm, I'm, if I'm being honest, I'm a little concerned that I'm starting to fall off even on some of the mainstream stuff because I watched the most recent show that came out was the book of Boba Fett and it was fine. It was okay. But I, you know, and we're going to talk about it a little bit in this podcast, but there seems to be this continued push on this whole Mandalorian thing that I just don't get. I, I don't understand it. I like the show, The Mandalorian, but The Mandalorian races and Boba Fett and all of this. I know he was a cult figure in the original trilogy, but they seem to be focusing a lot on that, that those characters and that race. And I, I just, I don't jive with it as much. I don't understand why we're focusing so much on this and not telling other stories around Jedi or Sith or the old Republic or things like that. So I don't know if that answers your question. I kind of danced around it a little bit. No, no, it, it, no, it, it, it absolutely does. And, and, and it's, and it's, and again, it's, it's just, I think it's, it's important context when it, when, as we go into this discussion, just kind of how, kind of how we are viewing these things, not only how we were viewing them then, but, but how, you know, the, the, the eyes that we're viewing them through now as well. I think the answer to your question in terms of why are they focusing on the Mandalorian and that race I think it's because they are finally going to kind of move away from the Skywalker saga and they're, and they're trying to develop new characters that aren't in that saga, but have, you know, at least a thread line of continuity from that saga They're I think they're trying to get us to care about some other characters that they can lead us through more shows, more movies now. And this is probably another conversation for another podcast, we could talk about how successful that has been, right? But I think that's probably what they're doing, if I had to guess. Yeah, I think that's actually totally fair and very accurate. I, I still think that they could do an offshoot of, you know, the original saga in the form of a Jedi or some other characters. I just, they seem to be focusing a lot on the Mandalorian specifically, or the Mandalorian race, whether it's Din Djarin or if it's Boba Fett or whoever it is. And there just seems to be a lot more story to tell. I, obviously, they can't continue anything Skywalker related because Mark Hamill is very old and, and is not in any shape to play Luke Skywalker, not to mention the character is technically dead at this point. I still think they're going to make more Skywalker movies. I don't think they're done with that. I think they're going to bring back Ray and Finn and Poe. I think that's all coming back at some point. Maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's whatever. But I mean, they had this whole sequel trilogy many, many years after Return of the Jedi. So, you know, we can't count anything out. Disney has all the money. So I guarantee Daisy Ridley is probably not going to be super busy. I think the only one out of that group that may abstain would be Oscar Isaac because he's very successful. He's doing a lot of great stuff right now. Perhaps um, John Boyega may not jump back in because there was a lot of controversy around his commentary around the character and how Disney treated him and all of that. So maybe it doesn't come back, but who knows? But I think we're going to continue that. But I, I just, I would like to see other things. I would like to see other aspects that do have close ties to the Skywalker saga. 
Okay, so that being said, Pip did mention that we the, the the sequel trilogy. If you want to go back in the archives, we did deep dives on that entire sequel trilogy, episode forty eight. We did the Force Awakens. Four, I'm sorry, forty seven Force Force Awakens, forty eight. We did the Last Jedi, and forty nine. We did the Rise of Skywalker. So if you want to go back and listen to that, you can find that stuff in the archives. But tonight we're here to talk about episode two. Attack of the Clones. So before we really dive in, do you remember coming out of The Phantom Menace? What was your headspace getting ready for this movie? Were you excited? Were you trepidatious? Were you worried? What, 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 do you remember what you thought in uh, the spring of 2002? I was still pretty excited about this. I still hadn't really been overly critical of The Phantom Menace at that point because I was still really jazzed that we were just getting new Star Wars content. One thing I did want to mention that we had talked about on the previous podcast is that there were people, including you know you and myself, who would go to the movies just to see the trailers for the, the new Star Wars movies that were coming out. And this is the first time that I remember actively doing that. I actually went to see the movie Monsters, Inc. in the theaters because the Attack of the Clones trailer was previewing before it. And Monsters, Inc. is a fantastic movie. And yeah. I really, really enjoyed it but I was only there because the attack of the clones preview was, was before it. And I want to say that this is before that a lot of these trailers got released to the internet first, because that's how they were getting people into the theaters, which is interesting because it was Pixar. This is, you know, obviously well before Disney had anything to do with star Wars. So I'm not sure how all the, the finances and the relationships work out there, but I went to go see monsters Inc just to see this trailer. And I was very excited. The trailer was good. It showed some things that, were really interesting. I remember some of the stuff, you know, with, with Obi-Wan and the rain and these, these, you know, lightsaber fights with this guy that looks like a bounty hunter and all of this stuff and some really cool sword fights and all of that. So I, I was really excited when I saw the trailer. Do you remember seeing the trailer or watching it? I do. And, and yeah, I, I now I can, I, I do not recall if I went to go see a movie specifically for it. I, if I had to guess, I would say I probably didn't. But yeah, I, I do remember that trailer. I remember we saw what we would know, at, you know, as Geonosians. I think we saw, did we see the, the Battle of Geonosians where we had all of the Jedis finally fighting? I don't remember if we saw that or not. Some I, you know, of it, probably. Yeah, you know, we, we, we saw an older Anakin Skywalker, which which again, for me, that this is the version of Anakin Skywalker that I thought we were going to get when, when the prequels were originally introduced, kind of the, the teenage young man version, as opposed to the adolescent eight-year-old or nine-year-old Jake Lloyd that we got in the previous episode. Sure. So, yeah, I, I remember being pumped for this. Like you, I was still, I was still coming off a high uh, that was Phantom Menace. I, I remember very vividly that trailer had what I didn't know who it was Django Fett in it. I, you know, I was like, Oh, is that, who is that? Is that Boba? You know, we don't, we didn't know who he was. Right. I remember very vividly kind of like, well, who is that guy? And then there were scenes from the, with the emperor or the, the uh, Palpatine. So not the emperor. So yes, I, I remember that trailer very vividly. And I remember coming into this movie, I was really, really excited, like pumped because we were finally getting what I thought was what I wanted out of Star Wars at that time. Well, there was reason to be excited because the 
I mean, we'll get to it at some point, I'm sure. But and I, I think it's safe to say that our favorite movie out of the Skywalker saga was Empire Strikes Back, which was the second movie of the original trilogy. This yep. was the second movie of the prequel trilogy. So we have a lot to be hopeful for. And, you know, we'll talk about it as we get through here. But this certainly does not live up to what the Empire Strikes Back did as part of that original trilogy. No, it it certainly does not. So, again, this is came, comes out in 2002. It's written and directed once again by George Lucas. It is produced once again by Rick McCallum. The cast is essentially the same as, as Phantom Menace with a couple of, uh, of additions. We've got Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman. This time, uh, Anakin Skywalker is played by Hayden Christensen. We still have Ian McDermott. Now we have Samuel L. Jackson, the one and only Christopher Lee. And then, of course, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, and Frank Oz. Music, once again, by the one and only John Williams, which... I mean, John Williams is, is such a character in the Star Wars or his, his movie or his music is such a character in the Star Wars saga. I don't know if you have you ever seen there is a, a YouTube video and I think it was from Rogue One where they actually took out the music and all of the score and it was just like a space battle. And it's remarkable how different it plays with no music. I mean, it's just boring. It's, it's flat it's incred- out boring. Yeah, it's incredibly boring. But it, but it really just, I mean, and I know we've talked about it in a previous podcast, you just can't underestimate John Williams' contributions to the Star Wars saga. It's, it, you just cannot underestimate it. It's, it's beyond compare. I mean, there are two, uh, <laughs> there are two musicians on this planet that when they die, I'm going to be moved to tears. I guarantee it. The first one is Paul McCartney because he's, he's the last remaining well, he's not the last remaining Beatle, but he's he's one of the last most important ones. No offense, Ringo, but I mean, Paul McCartney was <laughs> yeah. part of the McCartney-Lennon writing team that made all the Beatles songs what they were. The other one is going to be John Williams because of his indelible stamp that he puts on every movie that he's in. And the Star Wars trilogy is so important. And it doesn't resonate as much with these movies, but I would argue that it it's because he doesn't he doesn't give in as much to deal with. But I would highly recommend anyone who is a big Star Wars fan, if you haven't seen it yet, maybe you have, whether you go to the Disney Plus app or whether you have the Rise of Skywalker uh, DVD slash Blu-ray, there is a special feature on that that's about 10 or 11 minutes long that is specifically for John Williams. And it goes through everything. It shows archival footage from when he was doing Empire and Star Wars. And it shows a lot of newer footage as he's composing. And it's just, it's, it's so moving and it's so incredible. And I can't say enough about how important John Williams, these movies are nothing without John Williams score. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's incomparable. He's, he's the maestro. Yeah. Like I said, I just wanted to make sure that we call that out. Once again, it was released on May the 16th, which is the same day that the Phantom Menace was released this time in 2002. And there's where the comparisons to The Phantom Menace kind of begin to fall apart. So if you recall, Phantom Menace was the highest grossing film of 1999. This is number four of the year behind Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets, and the original Spider-Man, all very good flicks. And it really wasn't even close. Like Two Towers made $936 million, uh, Chamber of Secrets, 878 Spider-Man, 821 Phantom Menace, quote, only made $653 million, which again is, is nothing to shake a stick at, 
um, especially on a $115 million budget. But, uh, you know, it didn't make the $1.2 billion that The Phantom Menace made. So um, it is the lowest box office of all three prequels, which as we kind of get into it, I think we'll begin to understand kind of maybe why. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, which, again, we can talk about the visual effects as, as we move through this film as well. And it also won two Golden Raspberry Awards, one for the worst screenplay and one for the worst supporting actor for Hayden Christensen. So we will we will definitely talk about Hayden Christensen's performance here. Principal photography took place in June through September of 2000. They did a ton of filming in Sydney, Australia. Once again, they did go back to Tunisia. Spain and Italy. And it's very clear to me kind of when they're in Spain, when they're in Europe versus when they're in, you know, Australia, at least to me, um, it really just kind of stands out kind of, oh, oh yeah, that's a European city. Oh yeah. You know, that, that kind of thing. It received mixed reviews even back in the day. Again, I really don't think this one holds up nearly as well as any of the other ones do, quite frankly. We kind of shit on Phantom Menace a little bit, but I think, I think that one probably holds up better than this one does. There's there was a lot of politics in that one. There's a lot of politics in this one. It, the way it's cut together and kind of interspersed, and, and we'll certainly go through it as you as you get into the plot stuff. But we go from kind of action to boredom and back and forth. I, I think back then when it first came out, I think the big thing that that a lot of people shit on probably more than anybody was was Hayden Christensen. And I'm not quite. I mean, I won't say that. Hayden Christensen was good here by any stretch, but I almost wonder is, is part of that hate. Do we think just because he was coming off the Jake Lloyd performance and he gave kind of a flat performance and he didn't have a ton here to work with in terms of story. I don't know. It's kind of a hypothetical question, but. Well, I think the interesting thing about this, this topic is that we're going to find out tomorrow. I think we're going to find out, or maybe not tomorrow, but we're going to find out in this new Obi-Wan series because I have a theory that Hayden Christensen is not a terrible actor. I don't think he's the best actor. I don't think he's going to be winning any awards, but Natalie Portman is a pretty good actress. I mean, she's actually really, really good. And she was fucking terrible in this movie. Yeah. And I'm going to go as far as to say it wasn't as much her fault. It wasn't as much Christensen's fault. I think it was Lucas's really shitty dialogue he's writing some stuff that people just can't deliver. Now, this isn't new for him because he did this in the original saga, or excuse me, the original trilogy, but it, it just like, just listen to it. Like, like Al Pacino and Philip Seymour Hoffman could not deliver this dialogue. And I hate sand. Not, it gets everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And not make it. Sand. Yeah, there's another Pacino reference, but uh, they couldn't do this themselves and make this any better. It just, it's so clumsy the way that it's put together. And yeah, sometimes I feel like their hearts might not be in it. And, you know, at the same time, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, I don't know who could do this any better, but I mean, we will definitely get to that because there are some really awkward scenes. There are some, the, the, the romance that we're supposed to believe is there is really pushed very hard, very quickly. It doesn't feel very genuine. doesn't feel earned. And they're going to go from sniping at each other to, you know, truly deeply loving each other <laughs> very quickly. And, and, and the audience is just, they can't keep up with the pace because it's just, it's unnatural and it doesn't, there's no chemistry 
I mean, that's that's the real spoiler alert. I'm going to talk a lot about the issues with the chemistry here, but I, I honestly think a lot of that stems from the screenwriting and the dialogue. That's what I had prepared for kind of my intro, my introduction into this. So I'm, I, I will turn it over to you and let you walk us through the film. All right. Well, let us crawl through the beginning with the episode two attack of the clones. There is unrest in the galactic Senate. I can't do any uh, bad uh, impressions of the, the trade federation, although we will see them here. Several thousand solar systems have declared their intentions to leave the Republic. That's, that's weird. I, I mean, I guess that's, that's context, but that we don't, I don't really feel like we get that. This separatist movement under the leadership of the mysterious Count Dooku has made it difficult for the limited number of Jedi Knights to maintain peace and order in the galaxy. Senator Amidala, the former queen of Naboo, is returning to the Galactic Senate to vote on the critical issue of creating an army of the Republic to assist the overwhelmed Jedi. <sighs> a bit of a snoozer as far as the uh, the crawl goes for the second straight one, I think. But, you know, that's what we got. But I will say that right off, I'm a little intrigued because they have already named a new bad guy. So we lost Darth Maul at the end of Phantom Menace. And we we get a little drop of the, uh, the Count Dooku, whoever that is. You know, we don't know that at this point. I'm glad to hear a new bad guy here. I always thought it was very weird that... Queen Amidala, quote unquote, took a step back to be a senator. That that always just kind of rang really weird to me. At least that's the way I viewed it. Maybe maybe it's a non-issue, but it just always kind of felt weird that she would go from being a queen to a senator. I guess I didn't think too much of it other yeah. than maybe they have rules that are like ours where you can only be president for so many years and things like that. But Okay, fair. So we last left our heroes celebrating their victory over the droid army after the Battle of Naboo. Senator Amidala is traveling back to Coruscant when her ship is blown up shortly after landing. But no fear, she always has a gaggle of decoys behind her. Uh, this one uh, doing her job quite effectively, which is strange because she apologizes for it. But I say she did exactly what she was meant to do. She, she died. Uh, we then see... Uh, the seven Jedi meeting with Chancellor Palpatine, none of which even get a tingle that maybe he's up to no good. And I feel like the Jedi are supposed to have tingles, but not in this case, including Yoda, who is supposed to be the King Tingle out of all of them. But for some reason, just he just doesn't get it. But I will say that it's really cool in this case to see Palpatine and Yoda in the same room. So this is the first time we get a chance to see that. Uh, and they're exchanging words. And I don't know, like this scene is kind of cool. And they're they're dropping a lot of exposition here. This is this is where they're kind of setting up everything about the separatists, which gets confusing through here. I mean, I don't I don't know. We're still very early, but I don't know how much you're following at this point. It, it, they're they're throwing a lot at us. Yeah, I you know, I had a really hard time. So let's see. The, these movies came out. Let's see, ninety nine. We would have been twenty. Right. So we're, so we're 23, 20, 20. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then so we're, so we're 
several years after that, I, I guess where I was going, I had a really hard time following all the politics of all of these, of all of these things in the first movie, in this movie, like, you know, you, in the first movie, you've got, you've got Queens and you've got Gungans and you've got boss Nas, who is, is he a boss? Is he a King? Then you've is got he a queen. raging alcoholic. Right. Right. And then, you, you, then you've got the queen. Is she, is she 12 years old or is she in charge of everything? You know, and then here now you've got the queen going from there and then you've got trade federations and you've got senators and you've got galactic republic. Like you've just, there's just like a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And I didn't care about trade routes in the first movie. And so it's like, I know I'm supposed to care that this this senator, i.e. former queen, got shot at or blown up. And I'm supposed to care that the decoy, you know, like I was it was just it was very I, I'm confused at this point. Again, it's early, but I'm confused. Yeah, same here, because they're going to this is a sort of a different dimension or a different level different layer of the politics that are here because now we have these separatists that we're going to be talking about. And I found myself as I was rewatching this, rewinding a handful of times to try to figure out like, I know what's going to happen, but did they really lay out the plot or the exposition in a way that we could have picked up on it at the time? Or were we just so excited to see more lightsabers? We didn't give a shit. I don't, I don't think they did. And like, I'll even go so far as to say, like, even though the opening crawl told us that they broke away from blah, 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 I'm not even sure that a quote unquote separatist is necessarily a bad guy. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, I mean, there's there's a, a thousand legitimate reasons why countries or, or organizations kind of break up. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, so I'm not even sure at this point if they're quote bad. Well, and I don't even know if they are, but they're going to be played that way, which right. is that's that's kind of the whole behind the scenes stuff that's going on with this Count Dooku character that we're getting ready to learn about and Darth Sidious, who is involved in this whole thing. So Palpatine suggests additional protection for Amidala in the form of Obi-Wan Kenobi sporting longer hair uh, and a slightly taller Padawan, Anakin Skywalker, who is nervous to remake the Senator's acquaintance. We get a very awkward, dare I say, rapey vibe from Anakin as he greets her for the first time in a decade and seems very much in love with her, like, right away. Like, we're just skipping right to, holy shit, I think about you every day. Like, it's it's pretty weird, right? It is remarkably creepy, especially when you layer in the context of how young Anakin was in the first movie and how much of an age difference there was in that first movie. Right now, the age difference doesn't really make a whole lot of difference now because they're both older, but we're supposed to believe that Anakin hasn't seen her in those 10 years in between the films. And, and yeah, it, it, it rapey is a good word for it. It's certainly awkward. <laughs> it, it just, I mean, it just is. It's really super, especially, like I said, especially when you when you understand the context of the last time that Anakin saw her, he was like nine. Right. I think maybe they were going for he's just so in love with her that he's been obsessing over her these 10 years. But it, the way it plays, it's just kind of a, an obsessive, creepy dude. Yeah, it doesn't work because we haven't seen what the hell has been going on with Anakin for the last 10 years. So for him to just be madly infatuated with Padme at this point, it just 
it doesn't make sense. They rushed us into that, I think, a little bit too much. Yeah. So we also get our first glimpse of a little bit of tension as as Anakin challenges young Ben, trying to figure out who the would-be assassin is going to be. Anakin couldn't give two fucks about seeing Jar Jar again, which is about the only time I agree with him in this entire movie. We then learn the identity of the assassin, whose name is Zam, as we see her in the familiar silhouette of a Mandalorian. And I'm curious, did you think at this point it was Boba Fett? Were you excited about the prospect of reintroducing a Mandalorian into the story? Well, so at at this point, Boba, the character of Boba, the last time we saw him, he was deposited into the Sarlacc. Now, this is a prequel, right? So we, we weren't sure. I mean, it was clearly like somebody that looked kind of like Boba. At this point, we don't know if it's Boba. I guess I was intrigued. I, I, I was intrigued. Is this Boba? Is it a predecessor to Boba? Is it Boba, is Boba's dad? Is it, you know, I, I was intrigued. I've always liked the bounty hunters in Star Wars. I kind of wish there was, we had more bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, you know, I've, I've just always been a big fan, whether it's Boba or Boss or IG-88 or Dengar, like I like that, that ilk. So that's part of the reason that I really enjoyed the book of Boba because I like that world. But here I would say I was intrigued. So Senator Amidala is asleep in her room when yet another attempt on her life is made when an airborne droid slips some killer worms through her window. Because I was afraid of worms, Roxanne, worms! Okay, sure. I, I, I don't know what's wrong with explosions at this point. It seemed to work in the beginning, but fair enough. The Jedi make quick work of these larvae when an exciting, visually impressive chase starts through the city. It ends at some intergalactic space bar, which feels way more like Total Recall than Star Wars, when Zam is captured only to be sniped by the mysterious Mandalorian from afar. So the assassin killed an assassin who was trying to assassinate somebody, and there's stuff going on. I guess, so there was some interesting stuff here that I, I was just curious to know from your perspective, does it have any relevance? Why is this assassin a changeling? We, we never talk about changelings in the rest of the saga, unless I'm mistaken, but I feel it's kind of dumb that it never comes back or never really means anything. Or did I miss something? No, you didn't. You, the, the only thing, I, the first time they reference it is when they're in this bar. And I don't remember if it's Obi-Wan or if it's Anakin says, no, it's Anakin. He's like, oh, it's a changeling. She's a changeling. I, no, I, I, no, I don't think you missed anything. Other than maybe like being a changeling is a good disguise for a bounty hunter. I, that's that's it. I, I, but I don't think there's any relevance to okay. the fact that Zam is a. I don't think. Fair enough. I mean, I I was just I wasn't really sure. It seemed like a cool sort of element yeah. to the story that they just never explored any further, which was disappointing. Yeah, no, I no, I, yeah, I, I think I think if it was there, it was either left on the cutting room floor or it was just one of these things that was dropped. You did say something that was really that caught my attention. The visually stunning portion of this of this chase. There's a lot of that going on here, a lot of the visual stuff and and I'm sure we're going to talk about it. But but this film really really kind of leans into that a lot and almost too much. Like it 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 it's it's it almost feels like it's going out of its way 
to look good yeah. at the detriment of story at the detriment of, of storytelling. And, and I don't know that I necessarily picked up on it then, uh, but I certainly have over the years, over subsequent watchings. Yeah. And I think it gets much worse as the movie goes on from a visual perspective. I will say in the beginning, I think that it starts pretty strong and it's fun to watch these scenes in Coruscant because we, we haven't gotten a lot of time there, especially at night. So it's, it's kind of interesting, but it's pretty clear. I don't know. Maybe there's just something different about a space battle. You know, it's CG, you know, it's going to be, you know, at least partially animated, but we'll get there. But there are scenes throughout the rest of this movie where it's, it's pretty obvious that the entire thing is green screen and it just feels so fake. It's okay if it's supposed to be fake, but when it's supposed to be real and it looks fake, it's, it, it just takes you out of it or it took me out of it. You know what? I, I I think here's the difference. The 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 reason that this stuff, this stuff looks really really fake, as well as the sequence on. Uh, and again, we'll get there. But the sequence where Anakin is fighting through all the droids and the droid factory and that kind of stuff later in the movie. The reason, and I think the reason that this stuff looks faker, for lack of a better term, than the space battles. I think it's just how much stuff is crammed into the scene. And it's also stuff that we have an under, a spatial understanding of the stuff in the scene, right? So the stuff on Coruscant, we know what a city looks like. Yeah. We know what a building looks like. We understand, like in our, in our brain, we understand what a busy rush hour is supposed to look like sure. we understand what a bunch of buildings are supposed to look like soaring right? up and falling right. down and and so when we see that and it doesn't look quite right i think in our brain we're like eh, i'm not quite sure what that is but it looks off versus in space there's a lot more space right there's a lot more black there's a lot more negative space and there's just not as much going on up in those space battles as there is if you're essentially flying through manhattan which is essentially what we're doing here right yeah i don't know maybe that's maybe i'm just yeah. way over analyzing it but no anyways. i think that's fair though so the jedi report back to the council where they task obi-wan with tracking down the bounty hunter while anakin is to take amidala back to naboo which seems like a really weird fucking place to hide her i don't know that's where she's from so maybe take her somewhere else if you're trying to protect her life but hey who knows but first he talks with Chancellor Palpatine. This is when we really get our first scene between Anakin and Palpatine. And I'm, I'm actually finding this scene really fun because it's really obviously the beginning of this inevitable corruption of Anakin Skywalker. Like this is where it's not really where things start to go downhill for him, but this is where we all sort of get that. Oh yeah, this is, these are the seeds that are being planted for his inevitable turn to the dark side. Right. I, I agree. And, and here's, and here is one of the few reasons why I think you should watch these movies in the order in which they were released, because these scenes here don't land nearly as hard. If you don't know who the emperor is, if you don't know where where they go, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like if if you were as an example, if you were coming into this and you hadn't watched four, five, and six, and you had only seen episode one, you you might have an inkling that Palpatine might be a bad guy. But if you have that knowledge of oh shit, this is going to be the Emperor, 
then these scenes play totally different, right? To your point, like it, it, they become they become the seeds of something else. Where if you didn't have that forethought, you wouldn't really. I don't think these scenes would land as hard. My opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? Christensen took a lot on the chin for his performance in this movie, but I think his scenes with Ian McDermott are really where he shines. So I I, I thought this scene was good, and I think we're going to see more of that in the future. Not as much in this movie, but in in the next movie. And then Amidala, who allegedly loves democracy, makes a highly questionable move by promoting Jar Jar as a representative of the Senate before her departure. And all I can say about that is Misa thinking we fucked. That's it's just (laughs) I have no idea why we continue to wedge that amphibian into this story for reasons. I I just don't know. But you know what? I'm, I'm it's less than the last movie, so I'm just going to have to be okay with that and move on. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in this movie, I, 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 I don't know. I can't defend it. I, I really can't. I know <laughs> I, I, I can't. I was, I was, I was going to try to come up with some reason why it's a toy tie in or this, that, and the other thing, or George Lucas had a pet frog when he was growing up. I don't, I, I can't defend well, it. It's, it. You I, know, I, I appreciate the fact that they reduce his screen time in this movie, but he ends up, making a pretty big fucking bad decision later in this movie that impacts things pretty considerably. And, and, and Oh yeah. We'll... He's, he's the reason for the rise of the fucking empire. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, yes, he is. I, but, but again, we'll, we'll get there, but <laughs> for right now, Obi-Wan Oops. finds his way to some random diner uh, to have a weirdly intimate conversation with some CGI lizard named Dex. And I just like, I don't know what you feel about this, but this scene is just weird. And, you know, my engagement level, I'm not sure about yours, but, you know, at this point, we're 30 minutes into the movie already and nothing has happened. Like nothing is going on. This this is the first time when it 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 just feels weird. It just it's like it doesn't even feel like this is part of the Star Wars saga and yes it's a weird lizard guy it's a weird but it's just it it almost it here's what it feels like it feels like the scene in Spaceballs when they walk into a diner how many assholes we got on this ship anyhow right that's a good point and it's a parody of Star Wars it doesn't feel like it's in a Star Wars movie it feels like it's a parody of Star Wars and that's it's which is not good this scene right here the Dax scene was the first I remember it like I was sitting in the theater. It was the first time where I was just like, oh, like Houston, we have a we have a problem. Yeah. Like this, this might really go off the rails. Really, even even opening night, I can tell you, I did not have a a single feeling like that on opening night of the Phantom Menace. Right. I, not one. This in sitting in the theater, this Dax, I was like, ooh, like this this could this is it's wobbling. We're we're in trouble. Yeah, I agree. So Dex tells us that this dart that Obi-Wan got back from the changeling belongs to the cloners on a planet named Kamino, which, you know, Obi-Wan is unable to find in the Jedi archives, though he seems to know exactly where it should be. Yoda says, uh, yeah, go there. That sounds cool. So (laughs) back on Naboo, we find out that Newt Gungray is still the head of the Trade Federation. So, you know, we have that going for us. Obi-Wan finds Kamino right where it should be. 
and is immediately greeted by a local who was expecting him, apparently, for reasons. He meets Lama Su, the prime minister of the clone factory, who tells Obi-Wan that they are on schedule to meet the order placed by Jedi Sifo-Dyas, who had been dead for 10 years. But we're not going to find anything out about Sifo-Dyas through the rest of this story, which is a huge fucking mistake, in my opinion. Like, it was really really cool to find out that information but they did not follow through with it on any level whatsoever so i i still don't know to this day is was dooku sifudius i don't think so i think dooku placed the order under the name sifudius but because sifudius did exist like he was a jedi but allegedly died 10 years prior to that so i i don't know like they they really did a sloppy job okay yeah so i so I, I don't yeah and i don't know if i'm remembering or misremembering like because wasn't wasn't dooku one of the quote fallen jedi where he like left the order he was so i thought maybe he was sifo and then became dooku and then i i whatever it does so it, it's so it's weird on one hand, I really like all the stuff on Camino. I like I like the look of Camino. Yeah. I like kind of you know, but then but then there's this Sifo-Dyas character, and I've never to this day, twenty some years later, I don't really quite understand the timeline of who ordered what when and who and and why the fuck are they waiting for Obi-Wan? Like it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And maybe I don't need to, but I'm a I'm a nerd and. I, I obsess over this kind of shit. Well, much like us, Obi-Wan is justifiably confused as he's walking around this giant Apple store of clones. And he's basically told that a clone army was being created for the Republic. Seems strangely calm about that whole thing. But while Obi-Wan is trying to play detective, we revisit the lakeside on Naboo where, <laughs> where Lucas tries to convince us that there is chemistry between Hayden Christensen as Anakin and Padme. And I mean, I don't know. Let's call this out. The chemistry, I, I don't know. For me, it just doesn't work. I, we talked about this a little earlier. I think their chemistry is terrible. I, and I, you know, this is probably where we should figure this out. Is it Natalie Portman? Is it Hayden Christensen? Or is it this awful fucking dialogue that George Lucas wrote? So to Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen's defense... George Lucas wrote a relationship between Anakin and Padme where there is a, 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 an age difference of, I don't know. What is it? It's gotta be. It's not six that. or seven years. Maybe, maybe. Okay. I think she was supposed to appear a lot younger in the Phantom Menace, but clearly okay. they look 10 okay. years apart okay. in that movie. Okay, and and so I so I just pulled it up. Actually, I'm kind of surprised. How old today do you think Natalie Portman is? If you had to guess, uh, mid thirties. Okay, so she's she's forty. Okay, she's right. her birthday's on June 9th, eighty one. And how old do you think Hayden Christensen is? Based off of some recent pictures, I think he's older than her. Okay, he's forty one. Okay. I, yeah. I guess my okay. So my I guess my point though in saying this is to to their defense, Lucas wrote this story where in the movies there's this huge age gap, or at least the six or seven, whatever it is. 
and the actors that he has playing them are, I don't know, less than a year apart. He gave them really shitty dialogue. Mm-hmm. He didn't show the he didn't show what Anakin had been doing over the last 10 years to prove or show his love or admiration for Padme. And, and earlier in the movie, Padme even calls it out. He goes, she goes, I, the way you're looking at me makes me uncomfortable. It's, it's, yeah. it's you know, and so I, I don't know. I, th- I think to your question, I think it's probably all of the above, but I think if I have to put most of the blame, I think it's on Lucas. I think absolutely it's, the, it, it's, it's the dialogue. It it's has the direction. It's, it's just bad. And this is the, the point where we remind the audience that the reason that the empire strikes back was such a fucking great movie is because George Lucas didn't direct it. He wrote it and he had a lot to do with the creation of all of it. But Kirshner is the one that directed that movie. And that's why it's good. It's not because George did it. Whereas George wrote and directed all three of these prequel movies. And I think that's why they are not nearly as good. Don't hold a candle to the original trilogy. We get Obi-Wan. He meets Jango Fett and his unaltered clone, Boba, where we find out that someone named Tyrannus, who we will meet later, hired Jango to be the Mandalorian sperm donor, I guess. Uh, you know, Lucas got you know the Tyrannus thing is interesting because they they do talk about it. Lucas got much better with naming the Sith, I think, at this point because he's got Darth Sidious and Darth Tyrannus, which is technically better than Darth Vader. Vader sounds cooler, but uh, he definitely got a little bit more heavy-handed with some of the newer ones. But revisiting this, I you know I think I just I find myself a little bit frustrated still that we're this is where I feel like okay. As I'm going back in time, I'm realizing this is where they're pushing the Mandalorian stuff. Like, this is where George Lucas said, I really love Boba Fett, so I'm going to put him back into this series because there was no reason. I remember thinking this as I was watching this movie originally. There's no reason for Boba Fett to be anywhere near this entire prequel trilogy. Like, it doesn't make sense. He clearly just wedged him in there because he was a cult favorite. And, and I think maybe one of George Lucas's favorite characters but it, there's, I mean, what do we, do we need him here? I don't know. No, I mean, I mean, we, we, you know, we, there was, there's dropped lines in star Wars about the clone wars. You fought in the clone wars, you know? So we, so we kind of, we need an explanation of the clones and the clone, but to your point, there's, there's no reason Boba needed to be a clone. They could have, they could have told this exact same story, even with Django without Boba. Like there was, you're right. And I, yeah, I think you're probably right. I think I, I, you know, we'll never know. I would be shocked if Boba Fett was a part of Lucas's original, you know, creation of this script. Right. Like I, I, I would be kind of shocked. I think you're yeah. right. I think they, I think he in his mind retconned him in and, and, and made him a part of this where he didn't necessarily need to be. So we do get a cool fight scene in the rain where we finally see the jetpack and the rocket in action, which is something that was really cool. Obi-Wan Mortal Kombat kicks Jango, but he manages to escape to a nearby asteroid field where, you know, we get a pretty short and uninteresting space battle. And Obi-Wan eventually tracks Jango to the nearby planet of Geonosis. And then Obi-Wan, while he's investigating, is captured by Count Dooku, a.k.a. Darth Tyrannus who we find out is behind the assembly of this 
this entire clone army we kind of bounce back to ant we're bouncing back and forth a lot between the dick tracy level mystery solving of obi-wan and anakin anakin has some bad dreams and decides he needs to go find his mom so he ends up back on tatooine only to find out that she married into the lars family and then was kidnapped by a bunch of tuscan raiders and then after some kind of cool shots i think of the the twin sundown with anakin speeder biking around tatooine he finds his mother who very conveniently dies about four and a half seconds later and then our young hero using air quotes officially begins his descent into madness when he mows down the camp of tuscans in the name of vengeance so i'm wondering like what do you think like obviously i think we're probably both in the same position here we're like okay this is where it begins this is where anakin takes the leap from being a a smart ass you know mouthy little padawan into holy shit you just murdered mothers and children how do you feel about all that yeah i i actually like this sequence i i like yeah there's there's some contrivances here there's some conveniences here in terms of when she dies and and those kind of things and and again i i think we referenced it on the last podcast this entire trilogy had one job. The job <laughs> we'll get was, there. Yeah. Well, we did. We're getting there, as you should say. It, it, the job was to show the fall of Anakin Skywalker and his transformation into Darth Vader. And you're right. This is the first time that we're seeing any sort of inkling of, oh, shit, like, oh, oh he's, he's going to be a bad guy, right? And I actually appreciate that. Like, I, I appreciate the fact that there is a a real human reason that that he would do what he did, right? Like, I get it. I think we we can all we can all put ourselves in Anakin's shoes here and say, hey, you know what? Like, if this were to happen to us, we would do the same thing to the Tuscans. Like, I get that. But as I sit here and I'm and I actually thought about it as I rewatched this scene. So we're what at this point, I don't know where we are. We're an hour into this movie, 48 minutes, 50, whatever it is, something like it's that. It's an hour and change. If I okay. It's an hour and change in the movie. And, and this is the first time that we're seeing Anakin do something Darth Vader ish. Right. And, and what it did was it reminded me of the fact that we've already had a movie that didn't, didn't do, didn't start him down the path. And it was, and it reminded me that that first movie in terms of in the framing of my opinion, the one thing that this trilogy had to do, it, they didn't start it until an hour into the second movie. Yeah. And, and it reminded me what a waste that that first movie was. If that exactly. Made sense. Yeah. No, it made me realize that all this talk about politics and trade federations means and separatists yeah. and all of that stuff. It just, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. This is what I'm here for. So yeah, I agree. I, I do think these things are pretty strong. I think the acting is a little bit shady and some of the dialogue is a little bit of the same. Yes. Here's what I will say. I think these scenes here, and, and I'm I, and I'm going, I have given and I'm going to give Hayden Christensen a lot of shit for his acting. These scenes here, I think, are probably some of his best between this stuff and the stuff between him and and, uh, Palpatine. 
I think are his best acting when he's, yeah. when he's one-on-one with Pal, with Padme, it's garbage. When he's talking about the sand and I killed them, all of them, the women, the men, like that's terrible. This stuff here though, where his mother is dying in his arms. And then he shows that rage after the fact, th- th- in my opinion, this is his best stuff of the, of the trilogy. Yeah. Well, he's only in two movies, but I agree. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I, I do think there are some spots where he gets a little bit better in the next movie, but I would agree so far, this is his strongest work for sure. So Anakin and Padme get a distress call from Obi-Wan shortly before he's captured and decide to head to Geonosis for a rescue mission. We finally meet the separatist Count Dooku on screen as he plans some exposition for the imprisoned Obi-Wan and reveals that he once trained Qui-Gon and that the Republic is under control by the Sith. And immediately when he said that, I'm like, why is he telling Obi-Wan this? I mean, I understand that in most movies especially action movies the bad guy always sort of reveals his secrets but aren't the sith supposed to be a secret why did he tell obi-wan that the sith are behind the scenes controlling all this is it just his effort to try to bring him over to his side i've never had a real good comfort level of the bad guys in this trilogy and i will include i will include palpatine in that and i will include Dark, you know, Tyrannus slash Dooku slash Sidious, whatever we're going to call, or, you know, whatever we're going to call him here. I think their, their, their motivations, I don't know, are necessarily laid out all that well. And, and maybe that's by design. I don't know. This to me feels like a Bond villain. This to me feels like, you know, Goldfinger being like, oh, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. You know, like that, <laughs> that kind of like 1960s cheesy bullshit right even though he's not telling him i'm the bad guy that's what he's telling him we all we like at this point we're like oh this is a bad guy like we get it sure i do think it's really cool i love the fact if we're to believe it and i think we are that dooku was qui-gon's master qui-gon i think you know i think i said in the previous podcast was one of my favorite characters of this entire trilogy um so so that that's cool to me that that kind of hits me right in the feels and and i think and I think Dooku is actually a character that is a nuanced character, right? If, if, and, and, and some of this you need to get through some of the books and those kind of things. But I, I don't think he's necessarily, an, or at least he didn't start out as an all evil character. Like I, think he, like, I think he just maybe kind of grew away from the Jedi and then just kind of descended into being a true, fle- true fledged bad guy. But, but at the same time, like, if you remember, Qui-Gon wasn't all in on, on the Jedi lore either, right? He was right. kind of he was kind of pushing back and he was, you know, he's you know, to, to, to equate it to our current political system, you got the you got the the, the GOP on the right, you've got the liberals on the left, and you got the kind of libertarians. Qui-Gon would kind of be a libertarian, right? Like he would just kind of like, you know, I, I don't know. No, I, I agree. An analogy. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense because. Dooku drops a line in there and I don't remember exactly what it was, but he basically says that he's like, Qui-Gon wasn't too sure about all this stuff either. I don't know if I'll go as far as to admit that Dooku was at once like a genuine good guy, a genuine face, because they don't really give us anything to tell us that all they, they, they just sort of dropped a line that he used to be a good guy and now he's a bad guy, but we only see him as a bad guy. We only see him as somebody who is jaded and is clearly working under the, you know, mentorship of someone much more evil. 
So it's kind of tough to say, but what I will say is that I like the scene and I like what's going on here because I think Christopher Lee is, is playing it really well. And, and I'll definitely get to that. One more thing before you go on. Sorry. I think the, the, I think the other reason that these scenes really resonate with us and it's this scene. And, and you also mentioned the scene between Palpatine and Anakin earlier. These are the scenes that harken back to the things that we know. We know about Sith. We know about Jedi. We know about like the Star Wars lore, right? These scenes here are not about fucking trade routes and exactly and, and, the, and the politics of Star Wars. These are the things that harken back to, again, good versus evil, Sith versus Jedi, rebels versus empire. This is, and, 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 we, and they don't call it out, but this is what resonates with us. So we then see a very painful shot of Jar Jar addressing his Delo Felegates to give Palpatine emergency powers to create the clone army. This guy is fucking stupid! <laughs> Which happens to already exist, so I'm not really sure what good that was. But, uh, you know, when and where did the Separatist army become such a legitimate threat? Like, I think they just sort of crammed that down our throats I, I don't really understand at what point we should have all been worried that the Republic was under some kind of legitimate threat of concern. I think, honestly, I think that's the dropped line from the scroll, the 10,000 systems, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I sure. Th- I, I get that. Yeah. Sloppy as fuck, but I get it, it that. It is, I'll but, give but, you I, that. but I think, but you're right. But like, I've, I've never, and I even mentioned it earlier in the podcast. I didn't even really know that the separatists were bad guys. And I certainly didn't know that there were bad guys on this scale. Well, we haven't spent any time with them. Right. Like there's been, right. there was no talk of separatists in the first movie in the Phantom Menace. Right. And at least not that I can remember off the top of my head. And then we get to this one and then we're like, oh yeah, there are separatists and they're pretty pissed off and they're not happy about something. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to, care about this entire generation yeah, no, or no, race of people i, I don't know what's yeah there, now there, there's a there's a scene in this movie and i can't remember where it is where i guess it's maybe wat tambor and and dooku and and the racist asshole from the first movie are all talking about like we we pledge we pledge our army we pledge our yes. army we is that before this or is it after this I no can't. it's actually happening right now I it's think. right now okay because like that's the that's the first scene where I'm sorry, let me correct myself. That's right before Obi-Wan gets captured because he's listening to all okay, that. Okay, okay. So we're so, right so, about that spot. Okay, so that right it did th- happen okay. shortly before this. So so that's that's the first sign, or at least to me, that's the first time where I'm like, oh, there's there's a big for lack of a better pun, force at play here. Yeah, there's a it's coup like, it's, of some it, kind. It's, yeah, it's an al- it's an allied force. But but to your point, be- before that, I, I I didn't I didn't recognize the the threat, and I certainly didn't recognize the need for a clone army. Right. I, like I, I, again, I didn't I just didn't see it. So yeah. So on Genosis, we get a chase scene on a conveyor belt and some really cringy CGI stuff with C-3PO and R2. And I, I, this part of the movie yeah. 
in my opinion, is by far the worst. Like there is nothing worse in this movie than these scenes where we've got Padme trapped in a pot where she's getting ready to get a bunch of molten lava dumped on her. We've got this slapsticky shit going on between C-3PO and R2 that goes on for a long time and continues into the arena that, you know, where C-3PO's head is on another droid's body and all this stuff. This is where I'm really getting confused and sort of frustrated about what the fuck is happening here. Like, are we, here's, here's the interesting part that I'm not quite sure when I'm watching this the first time, are we getting towards a climax of some kind? Because this feels like first act kind of shit. Like this doesn't feel like we're moving towards anything important at all. There's about 20 minutes in here that are, from the time that Obi-Wan is in the, the shackles, for lack of a better, t- I don't know what they are, the, the, you know, where he's kind of spinning and Dooku's talking to him. Magical prison Magical, force field. Right. From then until the time, and we'll get there, when Yoda comes in with the clones. I- I'm guessing, I-, I would have to look at the timestamp. I'm, I'm guessing it's 20 minutes. It feels like an hour. I should know the timestamp because I was watching the clock at this point because it's it's painful. I will go so far, Matt, as to say it's the worst 20 minutes in Star Wars cinematic history. Yes. It's fucking terrible. It's like that. Well, it's 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 stupid. There's an entire sequence there. And you mentioned it where Padme is in the the molten thing that is straight out of Transformers, the movie in 1985. Like it's it's straight out of it. You've got Anakin going through. It looks like a video game. He's he's breaking lightsabers in half. His his hand gets stuck in a thing. He's he's killing Geonosians. He's killing droids. It's like, oh, level up level. Like it's just it, it. It's terrible it doesn't like nothing in the background looks remotely real at all i understand we're on a planet with with bugs and like droid i get that it's the the to your point 3po's head he's on he's on the body of a droid and it and it's just it's laughable it's it's bad it's it is the worst 20 minutes in star Wars history. It's, it's terrible. Well, the bug thing, I think we, we definitely need to call out like this Geonosis. I know that star Wars has been very big throughout the entire saga about going to different planets and having different environments and different elements, but these bugs are fucking stupid. They're just dumb. They don't add any, any interesting context to anything. And this part, I think you hit the nail right on the head. You were perfect with this analogy. It's a video game. Like, that's what it felt like. It felt like, okay, this is the part of the movie where we have to make it look like a video game so we can sell something off of this because it just, it was, it was stupid. Like I'm watching this, you know, with my hand covering my face between my fingers, my eyes are peering through to try to figure out what's going on here. And it's just dumb. It's really dumb and it doesn't move the story along. It seems like action for the sake of action, but it's not good action. It's not like a space battle. It's It's not like a lightsaber battle. They're literally just like moving from one level to the next. And it's stupid. Yeah. If if you want to watch a a good, a good version of this 20 minute sequence, right? Go watch Paul Verhoeven do it in Starship Troopers. Yeah. The, the 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 bugs in Starship Troopers are so much better than the Geonosians here. 
and this is just this is CGI for the sake of CGI. I, well, I, I'm going to stop talking because I'm belaboring the point. Well, and the, one of the things that stuck out to me a lot while I was watching this scene is I fucking hate C-3PO in this movie. Like, I hate him. Like, I don't want him anywhere near any of this stuff. It, it does not make sense for him to be anywhere near this story right now. R2, maybe, maybe still not a definite, but like they're. Their contribution to these yeah. scenes is toxic. It does yeah. not work. Let them be in the fucking ship, leave them alone, and move on. It does not work for me. I mean, I mean, talk about talk about cramming characters into a movie that don't belong in a movie. I mean, th- th- this is right up there with was it C three? Who th- who did they cram into Solo? That was so fucking awkward was it solo what movie was it yeah it was or was it rogue one oh no no you're right it was rogue one where it's fucking c3po and r2d2 were standing there like it it, it just it it is you're you're right i agree there's there's no reason 3po needs to be here again r2 maybe but even that like you could you could write out these those entire two characters and and it, it would certainly wouldn't hurt this movie at all. So our heroes do get captured after all of that video game madness. And Padme confesses that she truly deeply loves Anakin, despite his pension for killing women and children in easily the most awkward scene, in my opinion, in the entire saga. Like it was really, really difficult to watch. Uh, I would rather watch Leia and Luke make out over and over again than have to watch to have to bear witness to any more of this fucking storyline which is really really poorly delivered i can't defend any here the only thing i will say and it is it's crude but i'm gonna say natalie portman is so hot in this movie it's just not even fair in in this scene where she's got her little midriff on and this well she doesn't yet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well that's true yeah you're right it's not yet they're, they're gonna uh, very poorly manufacture well but where that. where's the scene where they're like in front of the fireplace that's in this movie right did yes. i did i miss it did i that, skip over it well we we kind of did skip over that that is back on naboo that was sort okay of sorry the apex of their the hottest she ever was like it's it's not oh, yeah. even fair how hot she is there. but oh sure and again I, i'm just being it i'm an asshole but even how hot she is it's unwatchable it's so bad so instead of killing our heroes, the bad guys send them out gladiator style to be mauled by some sort of crustacean and an angry kitten. After again, th- th- sorry, I don't mean to cut. You. This is more James Bond shit, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just it like really is. I, I expect you to die, Mister. Yeah, it, it's yeah. After a few painful scenes, the Jedi finally show up to provide some level of support. And I'll admit, this scene was kind of cool because. Yes with a lot more lightsabers than we have ever seen, because you have to keep in mind at this point in watching this movie and in the star Wars saga, we'd not seen this many Jedi before and they all come out with lightsabers blazing. And that was pretty fucking cool. Now, whether they did much and, and if you watch the movie again and just watch some of the background characters, it looks pretty fucking terrible. To be honest, some of the extras in the back are uh, not properly trained to be, uh, martial artists in any way but needless to say they tried and, and they gave us a little bit more but lucas decides to give 
Mace Windu, you know, some relevance as he beheads Jango Fett and Yoda arrives with the cavalry of clone troopers to take out the Separatist droid army. I guess Yoda just decided he was going to pop over to Kamino and grab all 478,000 of those clone troopers and bring them to battle, which may or may not be the best idea. And then a pointless land battle ensues and, and Dooku attempts to escape on what can best be described as a one of those handicapped Walmart scooters. I, I don't know. Like it, this is where the CGI starts really failing for me because it just it looks really bad. The green screen is terrible and it's just it's unattractive. I don't know. I don't know a better way to put it. You're right. So so I have a I have a couple things in my notes here that I wanted that I want to talk about. So first of all, when when Yoda when we get the scene of all the Jedis igniting their sabers and like fighting as one, the first time you see it is pretty fucking cool. It's like it, it is, yes. it, it, yeah. So do you, did you ever see, and I don't expect you to remember this, but there was a fan made movie trailer of attack of the clones. And what they did was they took, footage of from other movies and they took footage from like Hayden Christensen movies and and Liam Neeson movies and other movies and they and they spliced it all together and they created an attack of the clones trailer the the trailer or the piece that they put that I was so pumped about they took a scene from Braveheart where where they were storming the fields of Bannockburn and they put lightsabers on all these Scotsmen. Nice. I, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but, but that's what this scene reminded me. Of. It was the first time we got to your point. They got multiple Jedis igniting their sabers and kind of storming, storming the battlefield. And it was awesome. Again, if you look at it with, with the hindsight of, of 20 years, some of the background extras are not great, but it was amazing. So I wanted to point that out. The other thing I wanted to point out was even amongst the terrible green screen, you're right. It's, it's the worst. Dooku looks old here. He looks Walmart old as he's escaping. There's this dialogue between Obi-Wan and Anakin on the clone ship. And, and Padme, like, falls out of this ship. Yeah. And and, and, it, and I can't remember exactly what it says. Maybe you can insert the, the, the audio clip. Oh, the ship! I can't take Tuku alone! I need you! If we catch him, we can end this war right now! We have a job to do! I don't care! Put the ship down! You will be expelled from the Jedi Order! I can't leave her! Come to your senses! What do you think Padme would do with she in your position? She would do her duty. It's god awful. It's so terrible. Like they get the point across. Yes, we get it. Anakin loves Padme. Obi Wan is, you know, holding to the Jedi code. It, 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 but even amongst the battle, it's terrible. The dialogue is so bad here. Yeah, I think for the most part, I agree with that. I, I will say that I might disagree slightly on that one, only because that piece was kind of interesting because Anakin was trying to get that ship to land to rescue Padme 
And Obi-Wan was fighting. He was like, no, we can't do this right now. And I think the line was something along the lines of, you know, if it were her, what would she do? And Anakin's like, she would do her duty. And I do her dirty. I I don't know if the dialogue was great, but I will say the moment was good because Anakin was clearly off focus and he was, he was totally dedicated on Padme. And that was Obi-Wan's effort to try to steer Anakin back to focusing on like, do your job. Like don't, don't focus on your feelings wherever they may be right now. Focus on, the, the task at hand. And so I, I appreciated what they were trying to do. I don't know if it executed as well as it should have, okay. but, no, I'll, but I'll, I do I'll like, I did that, like yeah. that scene in the sense that that was one of the very few times where I felt like Obi-Wan was able to talk Anakin out of it without Anakin being a little bitch about it. Anakin's like, you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm not thinking through this very clearly because I'm emotional, but we got to, we got to stay focused. And so I, I, I do agree that some of the dialogue was bad, but I think, what they ended up pulling off with that was was a little bit better than what they'd done in previous scenes. Okay, okay, I'll I'll, I'll give you that. I I, I will concede that. I've Friendly disagreement, but yes, yeah, no, no, no. I, I changed my mind. You, I concede that. That's good. So Anakin and Obi Wan track down Dooku, and we finally get a decent lightsaber battle in this fucking movie. It doesn't really last too long before he amputates Anakin's right arm and stuns Ben Kenobi by, I don't know, cutting his leg. And, and Obi-Wan is just like, you know, a little bitch about it. But here's what I will say. Christopher Lee, despite some of the dialogue that he's given, is surprisingly badass in this movie. Now, granted, he's not doing all his own stunts, but he's 79 years old in this movie. Is he really? He was 79? 79. Wow. And, and okay, he, yeah. he, the reason that he is in this movie is clearly because of all the gravitas that he brings to his roles, Right. He was great in Dracula. He was great in Lord of the Rings, which came after this, if my memory serves. Um, no, it was the, two, two Towers was the same year. Was it, it really? It, okay. It, okay. Yeah, I beat, believe yeah, it. Yeah, beat it in the box office. Yeah. Christopher Lee was fantastic. I, I thought in terms of just dialogue and delivering what he had to deliver, I thought he was really good. Now, he didn't sell me as somebody who could really get into a lightsaber battle, but I thought that his presence on the screen was really powerful. And I wish that we could have gotten him a little younger. I wish that we could have continued that character, but you know, we didn't do that much past this movie. I actually thought he was good. I don't know. What do you think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? No, I I agree completely. Christopher Lee is. So let me take a step back. Ewan McGregor is the best part of every movie that he's in, in this. Absolutely. Agree. hundred percent. Christopher Lee is number two. Well, uh, I take that back. Ian McDermott is number two. Eh, maybe Christop- not in this movie, though, because he doesn't get in any screen time. Right. But but Christopher Lee is right there. I mean, yeah. he, he is he's believable. He he doesn't appear to just be like phoning it. Like he's he's acting. He's actually, yes. you know, he he's delivering lines and he he has gravitas when he when he's on the screen so no i i i 100 agree with you and 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 you really need to go out of your way to look in the in the battle that's coming up well in this battle with the jedi and then and then the battle with yoda you need you really need to look where the, where it's the stunt double versus where it's lee yeah and 
And he's clearly even, I, I had no idea it was 79. He's clearly acting his ass off yes. at 79 years old. He's doing and, a great job. And doing a great fucking job. I mean, just, he he is a consummate actor. And, and he's, again, he's bringing gravitas to the scenes that he's in. And he's doing a great, in fact, I'll go so far as to say, I'm really bummed we didn't get more Dooku slash Tyrannus in this movie. I'm, I'm, I'm bummed that we didn't yeah. get more. Yeah, I agree. I think we spent way too much time with uh, the magical mystery tour that Obi-Wan was on and this whole love angle that was supposed to happen was kind of shoved down our throats between Anakin and Padme. And, and I think it would have been way more interesting to spend time with the relationship between Darth Sidious and Darth Tyrannus or, or, you know, Palpatine and Dooku to figure out what were they really after here? Like, like it's, it, explore yeah. how that whole thing should have unveiled itself rather than just all this sort of kind of sloppy exposition while Obi-Wan's floating around in this invisible, you know, set of handcuffs or whatever. And, and Dooku's kind of like sloppily laying this all out. Like let's get some more time with him, man. Cause he was good. That's, that's especially true when you remember the fact that we've got a hundred minutes of screen time in the Phantom Menace that doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> right? Yes, it doesn't yes. matter. We we could have yes. had screen we could have had screen time between Dooku and Sidious, Dooku and Qui-Gon, Dooku and the fucking librarian. Like it like yes, it again, no disrespect to Jake Lloyd, but that first 120 minutes of that of this tr- trilogy didn't fucking matter, especially when you've got Christopher Lee here. Yeah. Like He's Even only- when he's interacting with a puppet right. later, yeah. it's better than anything Jake Lloyd gave us. Even when, I mean, it's fair to say that Palpatine is the most interesting part of the non-Jedi related storyline of this saga, right? And I feel like they could have used Dooku to help supplement that in some way, shape, or form. If you're not talking about the Anakin, Obi-Wan, Padme sort of all this storyline, like the stuff that was going on behind the scenes, like they really could have done a better job flushing that out. And they had one of the greatest actors in the world, literally that they could have done that with. And they just didn't, they didn't really spend a lot of time there. So just when we think all hope is lost in limps, master Yoda, who shocks the entire world when he unveils his lightsaber and bounces around the room like a monkey with his pubes on fire. I mean, the thing, the scene was amazing. So I remember just kind of semi-losing my shit in the theater because if there's one thing that I wanted to see that I didn't even know that I wanted to see that I was shown in this, this trilogy was I wanted to see Yoda be a badass. And he was. Like, they gave him his lightsaber and he just unleashed holy hell on Dooku and it was it was great like it was a visual spectacle and I was really excited as this shit was going on because I did not see this coming I have I have two comparison scenes that I can give you for the night that I saw this on opening night one is from Star Wars and one is is not the reaction in the theater when Yoda when that music swells again, it's John Williams, that music swells and, and Yoda kind of opens up his robe and he calls his lightsaber the two and a half feet from one, you know, from his hip to his, his hand. (laughs) 
What a badass. A- after limping in, like, I don't have time to fucking reach for no lights. Right, exactly. My theater went, dude, fucking ape shit. Okay. And this, and this is on the tail end of a arguably pretty terrible movie. This scene, though, we were, we were all in. We were Star Wars fans. We were loving everything that we were getting on the screen. The only two comparisons that I can give you that were that I've ever experienced in the theater that were close. One of them was at the end of Rogue One when Vader just mows down a bunch of rebels. Like it was it was like that. The other one, the other one is the portal scene from yeah. the Avengers. Yeah. yeah. It's, the, it's it's the only thing that I can compare it to. And 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 obviously, you know, Portals is bigger I think in the context of the Avengers universe than this scene was. Oh, sure, yeah. But but this was the first time we saw Yoda do anything yes. other than fucking hobble around, right? This was the first time we've seen it like even in every movie, right? Empire, yeah. he was an old decrepit asshole. Jedi, he died. Episode 1, he was a puppet and then <laughs> Right. He was a, no, yeah, he was a literally. Leader. Yeah. And and this one is the first time we saw Yoda not only do something, but be a goddamn badass like we knew he was. And I like I get goosebumps even thinking about it. like that. I remember that first night. Oh, yeah. And watching this battle, it's only about 30 seconds long, but it's amazing. But sadly, Master Yoda is not victorious, which is going to no. be a strange pattern for someone who apparently chugs midi-chlorians for breakfast. Well, he's he's not, but he chooses to be not victorious, right? Yeah, I guess that's fair. You could make the argument. You could make the argument, but I will say that Master Yoda is, for as powerful as he is supposed to be, is shockingly not impactful in in this trilogy because he ends up he ends up not doing much. He doesn't he doesn't defeat Dooku. And of course, in the next movie, he doesn't do much against Sidious either, except run away. But, you know, we'll get to that point. And but much like that one, Dooku escapes this battle. And I guess at this point, like I'm realizing that the movie is almost over. But none of this to me feels like an appropriate third act climax. I don't know how you feel. I don't know if you have a sense for the timing of where you are in this movie, but this movie is long and it needs to end, but it doesn't feel like an appropriate crescendo for any of this. You're right. You're right. We, we've gotten so many substandard scenes here between Padme and Anakin, between clones and separatists. And you're right. We're, we're getting there. I, I will say the, the, the back third of this movie is by far the, the best third right i mean it's i mean it's not even close like we we get we get the the jedi geonosin battle we get the battle between dooku obi-wan and and anakin we get the battle between dooku and yoda like everything happens in the last 30 minutes of this movie right yeah absolutely but but you're right we, we haven't really earned it and again this this my criticism of this movie comes back to the fact that this trilogy had a single goal and it, and through a movie and a half now or a movie in three quarters, it has epically failed. 
Yeah, I guess I just think at this point, like the story should really be picking up and there should be a lot of either anticipation or anxiety or there should be emotions that are pulled out of me to get me really invested in the story. And I'm just not feeling it. Like, I think this feels like this entire movie feels like the second act and there should be a third act in this movie. There should be some sort of, I mean, if we're to unfairly compare it to the empire strikes back, I mean, the third act of the empire strikes back is just, it's ridiculous. It's so good. And it takes everything and it elevates it so much. And here it's just like, I don't know why anybody cares about what we're even doing on this planet or what's going on. And I don't know. It's just, maybe I'm off on here. Maybe I'm just not gathering all that George is trying yeah. to throw at us, but I, no, I, it's, no, just, I, it's boring I, as fuck. I, no, no. I, I think you're right. I, I think, I think there is a, there's absolutely a comparison that can be drawn here between empire strikes back, which is the second movie of that trilogy and attack of the clones, which is the second movie of this trilogy. They both end on a downer. They both end on with the with the bad guys winning. They both end with the bad guys escaping. The difference here is in Empire, we care about our good guys. We care about the fact that Han is in carbonite and Luke's got his hand cut off and exactly his ancestral sister is right there with him waiting to you know <laughs> do whatever, right? Yeah, which makes we care. Yeah. In in this movie, Dooku flies off with a fucking parachute like starship that we've never seen before. We're like, okay, great. Which looks cool to be it honest. It looks cool, but yeah, it looks cool, but, but you're like, but yeah. What's okay. the fucking point? Right. So you've got that. You've got this weird relationship that we don't fucking care about between Padme and Anakin. We've got we've got a badass Yoda, but even even on opening night, we were like, okay, that's cool, but we don't really care about that. Like you know, what I mean? like it was, it was a spectacle. There's no stakes, and and furthermore, at the end of this movie, we get the creation of the clone army, which to your point earlier, came from Jar Jar, which has no stakes. Like it just doesn't make any sense. We're like, yeah. oh, so, wait, so you. So you've shown us during this movie that the creation of the clone army was essentially a mistake, right? Or, or was a series of deception or what have you. And now we're supposed to care about it. it yeah. It's just, it falls apart. It falls apart badly. So you mentioned Dooku and his giant metallic parachute, and that's basically where we end this thing. Dooku goes back to Coruscant where he meets Star Sidious Yoda acknowledges the beginning of the Clone War and Anakin marries Padme in secret as we end the second chapter in this prequel trilogy. And that kind of brings us to a close. It wraps up pretty short order, pretty quickly after the uh, big Yoda lightsaber fight. And, and that's pretty much it for the attack of the clones. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't think at this point it's a giant secret how we feel about this movie. I guess I will, you know, I will start by saying Rewatching this movie was incredibly difficult. It was really hard to get through. And all the things that I remember that I didn't like about it stuck out even worse this time. And it's not even a good means to an end. And we're going to have a lot to say about the revenge of the Sith and 
and what that movie does but this movie it at best just feels like unnecessary filler and there's just nothing here of any real substance other than we do see a little bit of Anakin as he does take his decline towards the dark side but I mean I don't know like there's maybe 10 minutes of that dedicated to this movie where we're still talking about clones and separatists and trade federations and all of the bullshit. And for me, it's just like, I don't care about 97% of this movie. I care about a few of the Anakin scenes and the Yoda lightsaber battle. And that's it. And I don't give a shit if I ever visit it again. I just don't. Truly the only redeeming scene of this movie is the lightsaber battle at the end where you get Obi-Wan and Anakin versus Dooku, which leads into Dooku versus Yoda. It's, it's really the only scene you need to watch, but it's an action scene. It doesn't even well, really well, yeah, right. lend anything it, right. to the story. That's but but I mean, that, that one you can come back to and you can rewatch it. It's, sure. it's a good action scene. Yes, it's really the only good action scene in the entire movie. Even even the Battle of Geonosis, it's cool to see the Jedi kind of storm the field, but they really get their asses handed to them. Yeah, Dooku stops the battle. Like right, like, yeah, yeah. He just stops and it. And there's some interesting stuff on Camino, but again, it's 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 filler. All of the scenes between Padme and Anakin are are difficult to watch. They're difficult to watch because not only they're acted poorly, they're directed poorly, they're written poorly, but they're to their credit, they're they're in a hole from the beginning. They're in a hole because of what we were given about that relationship in the first movie. So they're already starting from a deficit. And when you're starting from a deficit and then you have bad acting on top of that, it's really fucking bad. Again, it's a bad movie. It's a, it, it, it looks, it plays like a video game. It doesn't hold up really well at all, especially with new technology and, and new screens and new high def televisions and this, that, and the other thing. I'm going to tell you something right now. that's going to blow your fucking mind. Ready? All right. This is Grayson's favorite Star Wars film. Oh, my God. At least it's he wasn't the one born on May 4th. No, but it is his favorite Star Wars film. But why? Like, what of is all it? nine. He has to I, have I, a reason. I, I don't know. I have to bring him on the podcast one of these nights. I don't know. He this thinks is his Natalie favorite Portman's film. hot, right? And this is the first movie that I feel like it's okay to think she's hot. You know what? If, if, if that's why, then good for him because, goddamn, she's hot. Sure. But... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, for me, as a 40 something year old guy, even even back when I when this came out again, I, I think I mentioned it. This was the first Star Wars movie. And now that I think about it. The only Star Wars movie ever where I was sitting in the theater and saying, "Ooh, we, we might have a problem. Yeah. And I, I, I will include Phantom Menace in that. Like, I didn't say that Phantom Menace opening. Right. Movie. I didn't. In Solo, in any of these other movies, I, I wasn't like, oh, shit, we have a problem. This one, I did. Yeah. I was, I was worried 
halfway through this movie. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that the luster of having a new series had kind of worn off at that point. And, you know, I was still excited about the third one because I knew the only reason after this movie that I was excited about what would be called the revenge of the Sith was that I knew they had to finish the storyline about Anakin Skywalker, like whatever they hadn't told at that point, which was not much, it had to be resolved in the third movie. So I knew that I was excited upon the conclusion of this again, mostly just because, you know, we've, we understood the direction everything had to go, but it didn't earn my excitement because of how good this movie was i it just it wasn't it, it was no, it was a snooze fest it was completely no, you, forgettable yeah. and easily my least favorite star wars movie of all time no you, you, your excitement was be was by default because you knew where we were going you knew we were getting vader and we didn't get there here so you knew you had about 120 minutes yep to tell the vader story and again, we'll talk about our next podcast about whether we did that successfully. Yeah. But, but again, now here's what I will say. If this was the first movie of the prequel trilogy, I would look on it much more favorable, favorable. I can't say that word favorably. Mm -hmm. That's it. Than I do now. Right. Because at, at this point, at the end of this movie, We've got what 300 minutes of screen time ish, 120, 100. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and where do we stand at the end of this movie? We've really only the only really scene we've got of Anakin falling to the dark side in arguably again 300, 250 minutes, whatever it is, two thirds of this whole okay trilogy is yeah. is the is the tuscan raider scene that's all we've got yeah we haven't touched other on than it. that other than that he's been a whiny bitch in episode one you know again again he left his mother i'm not i'm not downplaying that yeah we talked about that and and he's got this terrible dialogue with padme with this girl that he's just like super rapey creepy whatever but that's all we've we, we've literally have one scene after two movies. Yeah. And I think that's why even episode three kind of falls apart because they didn't earn. Yes. What we knew they had to get to in three movies. It feels like with episode two, George Lucas forgot the whole point of this prequel trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. then we're going to we're going to talk about this in our next podcast. But it feels especially rushed in some sense in the yep. third movie because he didn't spend any time or he didn't spend enough time with it in attack of the clones to help us understand that. Yeah. That's what we're still focused on. We're still focused on Anakin Skywalker and his descent to the dark side. And that, that barely scraped the surface in this surface in this movie, to your point, we did cover it a little bit with the Tusken Raider stuff, but other than that, it had nothing it. to do with that's, that. That's the single and, scene, right? And that's the reason we're all here to begin right. with and they he totally neglected it and that's really unfortunate but yeah you know we're gonna we're gonna try to get through it and we're gonna see that more we're gonna see the the completion of that story the next time we sit down to talk about revenge of the sith 
Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I will, I will spoil a, a little bit. This is by, by far my least favorite star Wars movie ever. Like yeah. th- this one right here, attack. It, it's the worst. It, it holds up. Yeah. It's terrible. That's pretty universal. I think. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody who likes this movie. Well, I don't know anybody who was alive long enough to watch all these movies in the theaters who likes this movie. And I think most people tend to downplay this one pretty considerably. Yeah. So, okay. So do you remember, can you put yourself back in the 2002 version of Pip? What did you feel coming out of this movie? Do you remember? You where, know what? Like I really, you were? I really don't, to be honest. I think that I was probably like, my buzz, if you if you want to sort of use that sort of analogy, like my buzz that I had gotten off of the Phantom Menace had worn off a little bit. And I had started to sober up pretty considerably after this movie had concluded. But at the same time, I was still really interested in where this was going. And I thought that if there was any chance of redemption, not for Anakin Skywalker, obviously, but but for this prequel trilogy it was going to be with this third movie so i guess you could say i was disappointed but i was still really really hopeful because i thought there were good things on the horizon what about you though i really think this was the only star wars movie so 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 what we've got nine ten is there ten star wars movie now and if you include rogue one theatrical uh, releases well they're solo as well so uh, okay so wanna... tw- so there's 11 there's 11 star wars movies theatrical releases right nine nine saga films plus rogue one plus solo sure that's it okay yeah. there are some of those movies that are not great movies this is the only one that i remember walking out of with a net like with a negative attitude towards star wars like on opening night the first time i saw it yeah which which i remember like i'll be honest with you rocked me to the core you know what i mean like i like i'm the biggest star wars geek you'll ever run into and i was like oh shit that was a terrible fucking move like that was a was a bad movie like i didn't i didn't say that walking out of revenge of the sith i didn't say it walking out like i love solo the first night i watched it i mean rogue one i can still to this day make an argument that's probably my favorite star wars movie yeah this movie even the first night i watched it i was like oh again i've said it a couple of times houston we have a problem yeah no, it was a, it's a bad movie. It just it's just a bad movie. It is. And, and the buzz had, had clearly worn off a little bit at this point. But, you know, it's it's time for the rubber match. It's time to figure out whether movie number three is going to satiate our need for understanding what's going on or whether it's just, you know, it, it, you know, whether it negates the whole luster of this entire idea of having a prequel trilogy. Do you remember, like, did you tell people to go watch this film after you saw it? Do you remember? I don't. It, it's a real yeah. sort of, um, I don't remember anything about this this period of time. I think I was definitely less 
impressed by this movie than I was the Phantom Menace. And it's interesting and unfortunate that I think the Phantom Menace to this day still gets way more shit than this movie does. This movie's clearly worse on many oh, levels. Yeah. But okay. everybody whines and bitches and complains about the Phantom Menace and how terrible that was. But this, this is the one, one to bitch about though, right? Yes. This is the one. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, this one has kind of slipped completely under the radar though. I think the Phantom Menace was just sort of the first one of the prequel trilogy. So people okay. were able to beat up on it, but this one's way worse. Yeah. Do you, re- okay. Did we see any of these movies? Did we watch Sith together? Yes. That it was one Sith, we, wasn't it? It was. That's when I came to Cleveland and with, it, with Al. That's yes, right. And okay. we did not see WrestleMania. That was one of the times I came to Cleveland and didn't see WrestleMania in May. Okay. In May. That's exactly okay. right. So I okay. think, so this movie came out when? When did Clones come o- out? Two, o- two. O- so two. I would have been in, let's see, I got married in 98. Yeah. So I was in DC for O2. And I was, I saw, in, I rem- oh, you know what? I remember I saw it opening that with my brother in law randomly. That's weird, but okay. Cause he lived in Cleveland and I was in D. Okay. But we saw Sith together. Okay. We did see Sith together. We did not see this together. I would have seen this somewhere in Indianapolis. I don't even remember where. Okay. Um, but yeah. All right. So let's, let's wrap up tonight. Let's see. It's 1145 PM on yeah. the 26th of May. So I might try to stay up and watch. You know, gonna... Does it come out? Does it come out at midnight? Uh, I don't know. I mean, then I might have to check that out myself. If, you, if might... it does. If it does, I'm going to be up until 2 a.m. You're going to be up until 2 because yeah. you're going to watch both those episodes. Yeah. And I'm I can't probably... just watch one. Yeah. Of course not. Why would you? So 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 we we really intended to try and get this entire prequel saga done before tonight, but we didn't for fucking reasons. And most of them are my fault. And so I apologize. (laughs) But so here so here's what I would like to do. I don't think we can do. So this is episode 70 of the podcast. I don't think we can do 71 and have it not be. Revenge of the Sith. Well, we, I thought we it was 69. Had. Wasn't it 69? 69 was the last episode. This oh, is okay. I wasn't paying attention. I just heard 69 and I right. thought that was cool. So I think I think we need to do 70 of Revenge of the Sith. And then yes. I think we need to come back and, and talk about Kenobi. Because yes. Kenobi is going to be, I'm hoping it's going to be amazing. I think it will. So the question becomes, do we wait five weeks to come back for 71 and talk about Kenobi? We'll, we'll figure it out. But, I think I think we wait a little bit because we at this point we have done multiple three more deep dives on Star Wars. And if right. we want anybody who's listening to, to continue listening and right. not think it's a Star Wars exclusive podcast, then perhaps we should switch back to uh, a top five. We haven't done one of those in a while. That'd okay. be kind of fun to revisit. OK, so 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 next episode. So this is that this will be episode 70. Okay. And then next episode will be episode 71, which let's be honest, I never thought we would get through 71 episodes of this podcast, but we're getting but we're getting there. So much and fun. So, and so episode 72, sir, I will task you with coming up with the next top five list. I'm not gonna Oof. put you on the spot right now. Okay, good. I'll, don't I'll, don't but, do it. No, no, I won't, but I'll give it up to you. So we've got uh, a couple episodes in the future. We're getting ready. So all of that being said, this has been amazing. Thank you very much. Super much fun. Uh, Super much. Bigly, bigly fun. 
Bigly fun. My name is Chewy. That's Mr. Pip. This has been the 411 from 406. And we just talked about the motherfucking Attack of the Clones. It's a terrible movie. But thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. I love you, brother. Love you back. Adios. Have a good one. sleep during the rumble that sucks you did you were snoring so loud that sucks that sucks no it's all right it's funny no it doesn't i'm 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 pissed that i felt that blows oh that's funny